Hello, everybody. This is the second episode, which we've been quarantined. Today is April 7th, 2020. Uh, the Dow gave up 900-point surge today. It was down 26.13 points or down 0.12%, ending the day at 22.653. The S&P was down 4.27 points or 0.16% or at, you know, 2659. Um, VIX was up 3.23%. And the U.S. 10-year Treasury was up slightly. It ended the day at 0.736%. Grant, uh, let's examine kind of the surge today and, um, and then the subsequent sell-off and, you know, what we think was a cause of that and kind of, I guess, I guess what we've been looking at this week in general. You bet. Well, I think we saw a big rally yesterday and Monday uh, was the best day in the last two weeks. And I think a main signal of that was because we saw some of the worst places that have been affected by the coronavirus start to show signs of, of slowing down with cases and deaths. Uh, so I, I saw that uh, Wuhan, where this had originated from, uh, they are no longer in the restrictive quarantine as of today. And we're seeing that Italy may have turned the corner. So, so I think people are are really looking towards that. Uh, but then we saw the, the still the volatility in the market today, uh, VIX, VIX going up. So I think overall, uh, until there's a vaccine and, and more testing, I think we're going to continue to see these choppy trading days. Yeah, I mean, there's been, you know, major markets have rallied um, by about 20% from, you know, their March 23rd lows. I think it is important to note that, you know, there still are risks to the downside. When we look at you know, 2008 in the fourth quarter, you know, there's a lot of rallies, call them, you know, bear market rallies. Some of them were around 20%, but we didn't really see bottom till March of 2009, right? So there's a lot more, a lot more things to go. Um, clearly, clearly it's been a positive last week and a hopeful, hopeful couple of days, but, you know, there could be a lot of false starts along the way. Right. We, we, we saw Jamie Dimon come out uh, in his uh, letter letter that he wrote that's uh, widely read, and, and he anticipates uh, a pretty big crisis and, and, and a bad recession here. And, and then we're continuing to see unemployment continue to increase and, and the rally. So I think that there's going to be uh, uh, still some way to go down before we start to see the, the true rally on the way back up. Right. I mean, I think right now the rally is mostly on the health side as opposed to us gauging what are the real economic effects. Because, of course, the economic news has been negative. But, you know, like, like everyone's been mentioning across the globe, um, you see less cases. You know, South Korea reported less than 50 cases of new, um, new, new infection cases in the second day in a row. You know, China posted no deaths um, for, for a little bit. And uh, we've also saw, I mean, New York is at its high points, but uh, Governor Cuomo mentioned that hospitalizations are slowing. And, and in Italy and Spain, you're also seeing that happen as well. So on a health front, that looks a little bit better. So I think, you know, that's, that's really what we're looking at. Um, you know, the WHO, some of their developments have been pretty interesting on the vaccine and treatment. Um, the uh, World Health Organization Director General, Dr. Uh, Tedros uh, was talking about how, you know, there's now more than 70 
countries who have joined the WHO's trial to accelerate research. So, you know, there's a lot of a lot of able minds and bodies, you know, in the fight. It's showing that that a lot of the countries are, are rallying together. You said there's 70, 70 countries and more than 20 institutions who are really racing to develop a vaccine. Looks like they're trying to, to use uh, vaccines that have already been created for other disease and, and medications that may be able to transfer over. Uh, I keep on seeing that there's a doctor down in, uh, in Baylor who claims that he, he has the vaccine, but there's still a lot of red tape with the human testing and in aspects like that that I think are going to be in, in important for, for governments to be able to come together and then be able to deliver it around the world. Um, but the, until there's a vaccine, I, I, I think that there's still going to be a lot of, a lot of red tape to, to get that done. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of trials to play with, right? There's, there's going to be a lot of cocktails. It might not necessarily be a perfect vaccine or perfect combination. I mean, New York State is experimenting as of last month they're doing a lot of clinical trials that are looking at hydrochloroquine uh, um, which is could be a possible treatment uh, for coronavirus you know uh, FDA's fast track the approval uh, process but we're also uh, seeing a lot of stuff in France due to chloroquine which they're doing trials on that in of itself and they tested 36 COVID-19 positive patients and they, they seem to, you know, recoup pretty well. So, you know, there's a lot on the, you know, works on a health front for sure. Um, but, yeah. Maybe a little different cocktail than we're used to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah slightly. <laughs> uh, the right, the and right saw... theme and soda combination doesn't really fall into <laughs> medical technology. All those Manhattan drinkers got to get the, uh, the, the right mixture down for that. Uh, and then we, we also saw that the, uh, the payment paycheck protection program uh, was launched last week and, and we're still seeing a lot of, of, of companies begin to apply for that. We saw Bank of America have 85,000 customers apply for 22 billion in loans. Uh, seems like Wells Fargo may have uh, had to jump through some hoops there because they have those Fed restrictions on their balance sheet. So it seems like they were turning away a lot of their customers and then JP Morgan went live. Uh, what, what's your take on the launch of the payment protection program, Drew? Well, it was a pretty rocky start. So, so like you said, you serviced more than 85,000 customers applied for that 22.2 billion in loans. As a, before it was really supposed to launch on uh, midnight of Friday, but major lenders didn't really get any, guidance from the executive branch until late Thursday night. So they really had to put together something, you know, in, in one day functionally. Uh, BOA really came under some hot fire because they were only extending the loans to borrowers who had been actively borrowing last month. So they were the first people to get it. But I guess politically, uh, from my understanding is that wasn't in the bill, right? There was no restrictions on whether you know, whether you were currently a borrowing or not. So, so that was problematic. Um, You know, a lot of people have rushed because they're worried that the $350 billion of the initial small business loans are going to go quickly. Um, Secretary Mnuchin, you know, mentioned the fact that we could extend that and, 
and, and have another offering, but we'd have to go through congressional approval on that. So, so I do think, you know, JP Morgan and I think Bank of America had a rocky start, but I think it's uh, starting to smooth itself, smooth the situation out a little bit. It, it, yeah, it seemed like the launch they they weren't really ready for it because the, the treasury didn't really give them give banks instructions until, as you said, seven on Thursday, and and they were supposed to open at midnight. So trying to get their systems uh, enabled to accept these loan applications and, and evaluate people for credit, I, I think banks are are looking at this that until they really get funding and, and clear direction from the treasury and, and the Fed that they're going to be. Uh, a little more conservative than than I think lawmakers want them to be, because if they're extending loans to people and and forgivable loans, they want to make sure that they're protected on the back end, which which makes sense. It, it, it's also uh, Wells Fargo seems like they weren't even able to to accept applications, and even yesterday they were still having issues uh, because they 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 have that balance sheet restrictions from when uh, when they had all the the fake account the fake account scandal, um, the, the limitations on that. Uh, overall, I, I think you're right. I think uh, Mnuchin is going to go back and, and try and get more for the, the $350 billion loan pool, but, but small businesses are, gonna, are, are all going to want a piece of that. So I think, as you said, that's going to run out really, really quickly, uh, especially if it's uh, the really only guidelines are if it's for firms with uh, 500 or less employees, and then that is used to cover wages, salary, or benefits. Uh, I, I think that everyone's going to want to get a get a piece of that, and we're already seeing people in Washington D.C. already calling for for more spending. Uh, so, I, I think we may see a, a, an additional package here uh, in the coming weeks if if we continue to to be in quarantine and, and have the economic uh, economic slowdown. Yeah, not to mention that there were a lot of lenders that weren't ready at all you know PNC wasn't ready um there is there's a couple others uh, the citizens and naval federal credit union informed their customers they weren't ready to take applications so so it is just a process it will smooth itself out I think that current 350 billion dollar pool will go quickly but but you know the the big thing of course is going to be that you know lawmakers will have to go back to the drawing board and you know find out you know how many more funds are needed which is which is always a process when you're going back to DC so so yeah i mean, i think that's where a lot of the concern is regarding that yeah and can these small businesses survive uh in well well cash is is coming right i mean it's it's only a matter of weeks before they they run out of cash from having people uh, not coming into stores or or just a really overall slow in the uh, activity so it it hopefully sooner rather than later these small businesses are able to uh be able to get these loans and and start getting more cash flow mhm mm and the limitations pretty good right i mean the maximum loans is 10 million dollars or 250 percent of monthly payroll so so it is a big deal but it's just it's just going to be a matter of effectively rolling out the systems we've we've right and yeah so the funds can be used to to pay for rent mortgages utilities as well as payroll uh and then it'll be interesting to see how they measure um if that's what the loans were used for 
um, to see if businesses cut jobs or reduced pay or, or did anything like that because then the the loan or the amount that was forgiven may may impact so I think that um, that may also impact how much is is, is given and um, how companies are using it yeah we're really going to need to look at the incentive structure as a case study for for this current and upcoming recession and and, and for ones in the future so so it's definitely going to be something to examine we've We've already seen a bit of a slowdown in terms of ISMs, uh, but not nearly as bad as it could have been. I mean, the ISM manufacturing index fell to 49.1 from last month. It was at 50.1 in February, but a lot of you know, forecasters had it at sub 45. So, you know, just a few months ago, we were reporting months, uh, ISM is lower than that, and, and we weren't even in this pandemic recession. So it's definitely slowed down, orders have slowed down, but manufacturing data could have been a lot worse. That's my take. I completely agree. I thought it would have been a lot lower. I th yeah, I think sub 40s would have, would have been right where I would have put it, because if we think about that, that 50 as the contraction marker, and we're just below that, um, we saw a steep decline in new orders and production. I think that for for April's here, we're going to see uh, a continued decrease because the overall global supply supply chain is going to be affected by coronavirus, impacting all manufacturing sectors across the board. But I'm with you. I, I would have thought that this would have been a, a lot lower than 49.1. Yeah, especially in light of some of the jobs that we've seen and some of the forecasts. We recently saw the International Monetary Fund uh, Managing Director. She was talking it's going to be a crisis, you know, largely not like any other since the uh, Great Depression. You know, when when we're looking at some of the deepest peacetime recessions that we've seen, um, we've seen you know the Nordic countries already, you know, cut thousands and thousands of jobs. Uh, we're going to see a lot of the analysis think we have a lot more flexible labor markets, both in terms of hiring and firing. So on our unemployment is going to jump quite a bit relative to Europe, but it's possible that hiring, you know, picks up more quickly on the back end as well, just because there is a lot less regulations and just culturally, um, you, you know, layoffs are just more, more acceptable and more common. Right. We saw the International Labor Organization say that uh, 25 million jobs could be lost. Uh, the number of Americans applying for unemployment last week was 6.7 million and 10 million in the last two weeks. And just to put that in perspective, that was the that was the worst six months, equivalent to the worst six months in the 08 recession. Uh, we see Goldman Sachs coming out and saying unemployment could spike to a uh, record of 15% of in April. So I, I, I think job forecasts are, are really gloomy right now. And I, th I thought also it was interesting your point there about flexible culture, because I think that unemployment in, in the Americans will drop more than uh, in places, as you said, like Europe, where they're a little more uh, flexible about maybe just cutting pay and, and making sure employees uh, still have jobs rather than just uh, layoffs and furloughs like we're seeing in the United States. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we, we did see that uh, in March, we saw the, the non-farm payrolls dropped by uh, almost 700,000. 
Uh, it was the really the first decline in payroll since September 2010. Um, I personally thought it would have been a little bit more, but maybe the, the data was taken before we saw a lot of the uh, shutdowns across the country. Uh, what's your take here Move on March pay, uh, March jobs and, and what we're going to see here in, in April, if you have a, a guess? Well, I just think it's going to be uh, more bad, apparently. Uh, <laughs> you know, when we, when we look at what happened globally, um, Britain, over 1 million Britons applied for welfare payments over a period of two weeks. That's 10 times larger than the normal amount. You've got countries in, you know, Southern Europe like Spain that's been fighting depression for a long time. They, they, they already nearly have a 14% unemployment rate, but, um, you know, they've had a huge surge in jobless claims. You know, Austria's rate jumps, you know, up 12%, which is the highest since, since around World War II. So across, you know, the United States and Europe, we're seeing huge surges in, in um, people getting laid off and people... Uh, applying for for you know governmental support, um, you know, and when we're looking at you know the the, the straight rate, it rose from from um, 3.5, which was the lowest since you know 1969, and it has been kind of in that area for months. And the unemployment rose to you know 4.4. So so I, I just think there's going to be more of that to come for at least the next couple months. I think you're absolutely right. We're seeing across the board, some analysts are saying we could lose in April 10 to 12 million jobs, which would be kind of astounding, uh, especially coming from the hospitality and leisure industry leading the way uh, with, with huge decreases there, especially in the food and drinking establishments. It's, it's, they're just shut down a, across the board. Uh, I think I think April is going to have a, a, a pretty nasty number um, as we talk about this in, in the upcoming podcast. Yeah, I mean, leisure and hospitality, I understand. That seems to be, you know, food food and, and, and bars and, and, you know, movie theaters and everything else. That makes sense to me. But we also saw losses across healthcare and social assistance. And we saw losses across construction, too, which, you know, depending on where, you, where you're at, I mean, a lot of a lot of construction is considered essential. So people are being right. slashed in areas where where we need them. Uh, you wouldn't currently. expect. Yeah, where you wouldn't expect. Yeah, especially healthcare. You wouldn't think we'd be slashing many jobs there. Uh, and, and that said, just to go back to the leisure and hospitality for a second, I, I think that's going to continue to decrease if, if there's much room there to even continue to decrease. But I also think that that's going to be one of the uh, sectors that may take the, take a little bit longer to recover because, as we talked about last week on the podcast, I still think even if we, we come out of this and people are no longer in shelter in place, I think it's going to take a long time for people who are at risk and, and just really people to get back into old habits of going out for, for dinner and to the movies and, and traveling. So I think overall that sector may be, uh, may be taking hits for, for the next couple of months, especially as summer comes around with, with the, with the main travel season. It'll be interesting to see what the long-term effects are too. I mean, since 2008, people have been quite a bit more frugal. The great depression obviously created a generation of people that were incredibly frugal. And when you're looking at younger generations, um, relative, they, 
you know, they were kind of growing up or entering the workforce early in the last recession, which, you know, just occurred, what, what 11 years ago, roughly. So, you know, that was that. And now they're in the workforce and they have this. I just think it's really going to change people's psychological behavior and uh, traditional spending patterns for, for many, many years. Yes, especially when if this is your first experience in, in the markets. I mean, the, the speed at which this crisis has taken hold of the economy is, will impact people's ability to uh, think about future investing in, in the stock market in the future, uh, especially if we, if we think that uh, for someone who's invested and, and they may see uh, little blips like we, we saw at the start, they may sell rather quickly and, and maybe miss the the rebound, I, I definitely think it's going to impact uh, younger investors who haven't really been through a lot of market cycles. Uh, I think it's going to impact their uh, their their overall view of of how to invest, and and it could um, it could actually be better for future future shocks that people are uh, invested in more diverse and, and lower risk assets and. Uh, therefore, there's a overall stronger, stronger fundamental financial society overall. Um, but I, I think that we're going to see uh, a lot more savers, and we've already seen the giant moves to cash across the board. Uh, a lot of money flowing out of mutual funds and and into and into cash or cash equivalent. So I, I think that uh, younger people are are going to continue to to be more conservative than than they have in the past. Yeah, even last year when Gallup conducted a survey. The, their 2019 poll, uh, 60% of adults said they would rather save than spend, which when we're looking at pre-crisis years of 2008 was, was much, much higher. And that was the poll last year, right? After 10 years, 10 years of this uh, economic, ec solid economic growth. Now, now I wonder what that'd be when they run the poll back in a few years from now, I'm sure we're going to see a lot more conservatism. Um, you know, I think that the government is going to have a lot to do with how comfortable people feel. I mean, you have countries across the board that have introduced schemes that in terms of people who are employed, they might be getting, you know, 80 or 70 percent of wages, uh, but they'll maintain a job. Whereas here, if we're laying more people off, you know, we certainly upped uh, unemployment claims. But 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 I think that that's going to be, as we were just mentioning, it's going to be reality that we're going to see more people unemployed. So uh, they're just going to be, it's really going to be how they're accommodated in terms of what's going to happen to their long-term psychological behavior. Right. And if, and if we think about lower, lower income people, usually those may be the people who, who may be suffering layoffs right now and, and are, are going to be tightly squeezed in terms of, uh, economics and, and needing to save. So I think that they may be uh, even more likely to save because of being laid off and, and uh, this, this turmoil that they've had. So I, I, I think you're right. I think we're going to continue to see uh, more savers. Yeah, people are also just going to change behavior that might stay with them long-term. I mean, people are cooking more. People are giving themselves haircuts more. I, I gave myself a buzz. <laughs> you know, I went full on Britney Spears for the first time in my life. I've never, not paid for it. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that's going to happen again, but if, you know, people who had less, uh, less of a, you know, hatchet job, maybe they like it. So I'm not sure, but 
I think a lot of these things will change behavior. You know, people are going to get more comfortable. I mean, maybe, maybe even uh, doing maintenance on their cars. I, I mean, people have really had a resort to becoming their own handyman. So we'll see how long these behaviors last. It will certainly be interesting to, to cover and to study, uh, you know, in, in coming years, but. But I mean, also we, we should look like finally, I mean, the last real point here is we should look at, you know, technology startups in regards to this coronavirus. Um, uh, let, let's talk a little bit about that grant and, uh, and specifically, you know, the, the Economist's uh, most recent briefing, you know, was looking at companies like DoorDash and, and Uber and all the rest of them. Yeah, it's a, it was a great article in, in The Economist on technology startups in, in the coronavirus time period. And it's really uh, it's really interesting how they look at the call these unicorns, which are defined as companies that are over, I think it's, is it a billion or, or two billion in valuation? But really these, these tech companies that are uh, really highly valued and that um, a large portion of them may not survive the, the corona outbreak. Uh, so they they looked at DoorDash, which which is really probably benefiting based on on being at the right place at the right time. That that people are still going to have food delivered, um, and they compared it to Lime or Bird or one of those. Uh, if you lived in a in, in a city, those electronic scooters that all of a sudden overnight just appeared on every single street corner. But uh, the Lime and Bird are, are really starting to suffer because they're all based on people hopping on their scooters and, and taking for a ride, and with everyone. Uh, indoors and shelter in place that, that they're taking a, a big hit. Um, and so it's looking at how a lot of venture capital firms are really not looking for new deals and, and that may have an impact on startups who are constantly looking for funding and that instead these venture capital firms are going to be trying to help uh, the deals that they have already invested significant funds in um, and especially depending on the overall business of this firm uh, they, they may need an injection of, of cash. The, the article pointed out that some startups are expecting losses of, of uh, or losses of 30% in revenue. Uh, and as you're thinking about a startup, uh, cash flow and future cash flows are, are really, really important. Um, so overall, it's, it's just interesting to see how uh, the startup culture in the America in, in America really. Uh, has seen significant growth since 2009 and 2000, and now um, we really could see that shrink uh, coming out of the coronavirus with with just uh, people being strapped for cash and uh, investors trying to to save some of their old investments and not having cash at hand to invest in in new businesses. What was your take, Drew? Yeah, the VC take is going to be interesting because a lot of these unicorns, you know, have been very reliant on VC investment since, and in the United States that leapt from 32 billion in 2009 and went all the way up to $121 billion in 2018. Uh, you know, we've had $822 billion flowing into American startups since 2010, um, which, which is pretty much as much as gone in the United States that's matched about what we've seen in terms of VC funding across the world at that time. So, so it's going to be, you know, a lot of that's going to get turned off. So how people react and how they get funding um, is going to be, you know, another thing to look at. We've had firms uh, scrap their plans for IPOs. 
So I just think you're going to see a lot more, a lot more, um, you know, things like that, less IPOs, less VC funding. Um, and, and people are just going to have to sink or swim. So. Yeah, I think it, I I think it's a really big shot at people's business plans, right? So if you, uh, in the article, it, it does the example of Airbnb, uh, and Airbnb, you would think maybe one of the most at risk companies because people aren't traveling hosts, don't have people coming in, so they may may have an impact on how just people aren't traveling. So therefore, that's really their overall business scheme. But uh, they had uh, good cash on hand. They have a good business model, and actually, uh, when this whole thing shapes out, that they may be uh, even more uh, in a better place than than other people. Considering hotels may not be able to to weather the storm, but uh, it looks like they're they're in a position too. So it really shows that uh, the startups with a solid business plan may may be able to survive, whereas some of these ones who are just really focusing on on venture capital cash may, may be the ones that fizzle out. So it, it'd be interesting to see um, how many of these unicorns one really are are, are be, that valuation because of their business plan and because of uh, the technology that they have that that people are buying, or um, is it really just Overinflated in, internal rounds of of investing and and so forth. So um, I, I think we're going to see maybe even thirty to to forty percent of tech startups uh, not be able to survive the coronavirus. Which tech's always been a huge source of our valuations. I mean, we're a service economy and and we're a tech economy. So you put those two things together. Uh, you mentioned Airbnb, and that's actually that was another one of the examples of a company that's. Uh, may have to delay its IPO, which you know was was could have been you know the largest um, this year, um, depending on depending on what they do. Definitely, but but yeah, that's the tech sector, and then then early startup unicorns are really going to be something to to look at. A lot of them are app based, but they all have different business models just because they're all using the same medium. Um, you know, doesn't mean doesn't mean they're all going to uh, end up end up in the same place. Um, do you yeah do you do do you think we may see a, a buying spree from apple microsoft alphabet amazon facebook any you, you think that since they've been as we talked about last podcast they're sitting on huge amounts of cash do you think that we we may see them go on a spending spree where they can get a lot of these uh younger tech companies up for uh for a bargain yeah i i wouldn't see why they wouldn't i mean we've already seen companies buy you know, some of their parts that, that aren't remotely related, right? Whether that be, you know, Whole Foods and, and Amazon and, and, and everything else. So, I mean, uh, Facebook, Instagram, I think, I think you're going to see things similar to that where companies are just gobbling up, um, you know, tech companies that are no way, shape or form competitors. Um, so, and that's going to make that problem of, uh, monopolies and everything else even more complicated and, and it might even you know spur more conversations around a big breakup uh, whenever this pandemic's over um, depending on depending on who's getting acquired i think yep i think that makes a lot of sense um, anything we should be uh focusing our attention on <laughs> uh, I think we're going to continue to <laughs> uh, 
I think uh, we're going to continue to hopefully push push for a vaccine. So I'll be watching for for that and just continuing to watch to hopefully uh, see the numbers here in the United States uh, start to flatten and the deaths really begin to decrease. I think that's on the forefront. Uh, continue to see how the uh, small businesses uh, are able to apply for loans and and see if there is a additional spending. But I think uh, I, I don't know if you're looking for anything specific, but I think that the, every time you open up the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, or wherever you get your news, uh, that everything is is really related to the coronavirus. And I think we're going to see that for for the coming months. Yeah, yeah. I just pulled up my screen and. You know, as we're talking, Mnuchin is seeking another $250 billion in small business aid. Um, the Senate's going to vote for that Thursday. So, uh, what, what, there you I, go. what would be big news is just kind of, you know, Article Article 15 uh, down the list. So, so, obviously, we'll have to look for that. Mortgage payments are going to be interesting. Um, you know, just, and, yeah, we could see the REIT market explode here um, with people – not being able to, to pay their rent and then overall, uh, you know, commercial, commercial real estate, then uh, businesses not being able to, to pay rent and mortgages begin to fail. It, it, it could have an impact on the, on the REIT market as a whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's, there's just going to be a lot, um, the advertising world, you know, that's going to be fascinating. I mean, advertising companies are getting completely gutted. So, you know, how are they, how are they going to cope? Um, but yeah, I mean, there's going to be a lot to follow and, and, and we'll be here along the way. But you know, with that, um, you know, we've taken a bit of your guys' time. Thanks again for, you know, listening in, uh, please subscribe if you haven't and we're out. We'll see you next week.